Now I want to get to our sermon for today, and I begin with an illustration. Have you ever wondered what happened to the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence? You ever wonder what happened to them? 56 men signed that document. Let me give you a little snippet of what happened to them. Five were captured by the British and died after being tortured to death. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost sons in the army. And then one other had two sons, both captured by the British. Nine of the 56 fought and died from their wounds in the war. What kind of men were they? 24 were lawyers, jurists, or judges. 11 were merchants. 9 were farmers and landowners. These were all men who were well-educated, well-knowing what would happen if they signed this document. But they signed it anyway. Let me give you a few specifics. Carter Braxton was a wealthy owner of many ships. Those were all destroyed by the British Navy. He had to sell his home to pay off his debts. He died in rags. Thomas McKeem, M-C, capital K-E-A-M. He had to move his family almost constantly for fear of British reprisal. He died in poverty. Then vandals or soldiers looted the property of Dillery, Hall, Clymer, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. Thomas Nelson, Jr., another signer of the, uh, for example, another signer of the Declaration of Independence, had his home destroyed. It was taken over and lived in by Cornwallis, the British general, and because of that, it was destroyed by Washington and his troops, so there went his home. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, where later she died. John Hart had a wife and 13 children. He was forced to live in caves and in the woods for over a year as they chased him. He returned home to find his wife dead and his children. He never saw them ever again. He had no idea where they were. Norris and Livingston died similar, suffered similar kinds of fates. These were not wild-eyed ruffians. These were not anarchists. These were educated men who knew what they were getting into. They knew that when they signed that document, they gave up security, which they had had before. But they saw liberty as more important than security. How many of us would have done that, I wonder? Well, those signers of that document and those who fought that war afterward gave us a free and independent America. American democracy has often been called the American experiment because never has a nation been founded like we were and lived as we have as a government of the people, by the people, and supposedly for the people. Indeed, we have a freedom that most people in the world simply do not have. Now, if you are in a, uh, another country, you might hear them sing their national anthem. And they're as proud of their country as we are of ours. 
I was talking with a man who's working on our pews. And I could tell he was Mexican Latino, not from another country. He confirmed it, and I said, where are you from? He speaks about half English, half Spanish. Well, I'm the other way. I speak half, Eng half Spanish, half English. So we get along real good. And he's Monterrey, Mexico. I said, well, I've been there many times. The last time I was there, I was celebrate, helping celebrate the 100 years of Mexican Baptist work. And it started in Monterrey. Wonderful city. I love it very much. Surrounded by tall, beautiful mountains. 14,000 feet high. Beautiful place. We talked about it for a moment. And while I was there, they sang the next Mexican national anthem. And they were so proud. You could just feel the patriotism. And I'm telling you, they, they mean it as much as you or I do. But friends, let me tell you, America has stood singularly as a government and a place that allows freedoms like very few other countries in the world. It ought to call us to remember our duties and our privileges in this country. So I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Romans 13. I'm taking a brief break today, obviously, from our study of the Gospel of John. We will come back to it next week, the Gospel of John, uh, because we've been studying it since last July. And yes, I'm a little slow. We're only to chapter 14, but I look forward to coming back and studying the latter part of John 14 next week. So, uh, I want us to look at, at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Look there with me, please. It says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority given except from God, and those who exist are instituted by God. So then... The one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be afraid, to be unafraid of the authority? Do good and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant to you for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant. An avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but because of your own conscience. For this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe, taxes. Toll, toll to those to whom you owe tolls. Respect to those to whom you owe respect and honor to those to whom you owe respect. Wow. If Paul the Apostle could write these things under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, in a day in which Rome was the ruling power, far from being like the American government that we have, can you imagine how much more we should pay attention to these words than even what Paul the people to whom Paul spoke in that day and time. So, there are several things I want us to remember this morning. First of all, remember the government is ordained by God. Now, I've got to be a little transparent with you. I don't like that. I, I don't like that. But let me tell you, it's not about what I like or don't like. It's about what does God say. 
That's what counts. And why don't I like it? Because I don't like the government too much. I was raised in a home where you distrusted the government. That's the way it was called. The government's out to get you. And I was taught that from day one. So I kind of learned, well, you know, you know, you've heard the jokes. You know, when someone says, we're from the government, we're here to help you. It's best that you run. Well, okay, but what does the Bible say? The Bible says, remember, government is ordained by God. So keep your thumb there and turn to one other passage over in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, because this tells us something very powerful. Look at Matthew 22, verse 15 and following. It's an interesting passage where Jesus is dealing with some of his enemies. Not from the government, by the way. But look at chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him by what they said. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. Now, by the way, if there was ever said anything disingenuously, it is their compliments of Jesus. They do not mean that at all. They do not like him. They're there to trap him and to trip him. They do not mean any compliment that are coming out of their mouths. But they pile it on pretty thick. We know you're truthful. We know you're truthfully teach the way of God. They didn't agree with that at all. You defer to no one, for you don't show partiality. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They thought, we got him now. If he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, he could be arrested immediately by the Roman authorities. If he said, yes, you ought to be given to these blood-sucking parasites, they would be able to say, aha, so you support Rome. They thought, we have got him now. But look at the wisdom given to Jesus by God the Father. It's amazing how he was able to speak ways that totally confused humans. But perceiving their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the task. So they brought him a denarius, which was a small Roman coin. I may have one somewhere. They brought him a denarius. Whose image and inscription is on this? He asked them. Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said, well, therefore, give back to Caesar things Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. So even there we see this absolute manifestation of godly Solomon, even greater than Solomon-like wisdom. As he says, there are duties you have to God and duties you have to government. Well, that's exactly what Paul just said in Romans 13. You have to see that God has instituted government government for a reason. And so we recognize Jesus is indeed saying the basic same thing that Paul is saying. And what are those subpoints? Well, every person is subject to government. Every person is subject to government. Government's a part of God's plan. You may not like that. But it's the way it is. Well, does that mean that, for example, in the medieval days that kings had divine right? No, they took it too far. Does it mean that governments can tell you to do things that are contrary to God's law? 
Absolutely not. Paul is painting a broad brush here saying the institution itself is ordained by me. Now I have never sent a note to the IRS and I send them a lot of money. Let me just tell you. It, it, oh, it's just such a joy. I've never sent them a thank you note. Thank you for being used of God and thank you for taking my money. Uh, I've never had quite that spirit of uh, joy when I paid my taxes. But he says every person is subject to the government. And we are to do what? It's a word none of us like. You're to submit. I don't know many wives that like that when you said about the husbands. Amen, women? I don't think many men like it when you're told to submit to authority. I, none of us really like that submissive posture. But he said, submit to the government. Why? He says in verses 3-5, through five, government is a minister of God. The purpose of the state is to aid the good, to punish the bad. Governments are ordained by God to help citizens accomplish the greatest good. Again, should we always say, well, I'm going to obey because I have to? He says, well, you ought to obey because of your conscience. You ought to obey because you want to be a good Christian. And good Christians ought to be good citizens. And he says, submit because government is a minister of God. But third, we're to remember our duties. And in verses 5 through 7, we see those duties outlined powerfully. He says, obey the laws. Now we've got a policeman. He's out. He's right out front. He's guarding our church house and our parking lot. That ought to make you feel a little better when you drive up and see the police. There are cities, there are countries, excuse me, when they drive up and they see the police, it is not a comforting thing. And maybe there are people in our nation who feel like the presence of the police is not a comforting presence. But I went out to speak to our people in the parking lot, and I spoke to our policeman, sweet boy, named Randall. Randall, are you listening to me? I told him, come in and say amen when I said, you've got to even obey the speed limit. He said, he's going to come bust in and scare us all. I said, no, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. We're paying your salary. Just remember that, son. But anyway, we're supposed to obey the laws. We don't like that. I don't like a speed limit. I'm going to tell you that. Now, my wife doesn't like it either. If I can confess her sins for you, she doesn't like speed limit either, do you, Dale? No, she does not. In fact, she's we've learned over our many years of marriage. We want to get somewhere fast. Frank, get out of the way. I'm going to drive. And somehow, boom, she never gets caught. Look at her. Who's going to catch her? I get caught. She doesn't get caught. Well, we're supposed to obey the laws. That's why one time, my last time, my penultimate time in Germany, maybe it was that, my next to last time, oh, I rented a car. I said, Dale, honey, why don't we just go drive around on our own and go down into Switzerland? Can't believe I did that. I don't speak much German, so here I am in a foreign country trying to pay attention to the roadside, but I love their autobahns. Those are the nicest super highways you've ever seen. And in the cities, there are speed limits. But outside the cities, you can go as fast as you want. It is the best thing I've ever seen. I, had, I, bought, I, I rented a nice BMW. 
And I had that thing going so fast, it was just shaking. <laughs> but Dale didn't scream. I thought she'd be screaming, help me, help me. She didn't. She was praying a lot, but she was not screaming. <laughs> but let me tell you, there were Mercedes Benz passing me like I was sitting still. And I just did it for a while, and I calmed back down thinking, oh, that's probably not real smart, son. But anyway, we are supposed to obey the laws. Can somebody say amen? amen. That wasn't very good. But anyway... <laughs> I'll tell you an exception to obeying the laws, and that's when the law of the land is in direct contradiction to the law of God. So what happens when a new law comes out and says, okay, preacher, you can say this, but you cannot say this. Even in a country to our north right now, pastors are told, if you read out of certain portions of the book of Romans, and Leviticus, and you say certain lifestyles are contrary to the way of God, guess what? You are using hate speech and are subject to arrest and penalty. What if that happens in the United States? Let me just tell you. Certain elections go certain ways. We're not far from that happening. We're not far from that happening because there is a push in this nation for that to be codified even now. So what do you do? What do you think I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do. And I know what you're going to do. We're going to obey the law of God rather than obey the law of man. Now when one does that, one has to be ready to take the penalties that come with civil disobedience, which is an honored right in our country. So we will obey the laws as long as those laws coincide with what we like. No, coincide with the word and the way of the Lord. Second, we're supposed to honor those in authority. Second sub-point underneath this, we're to honor those in authority. While we may not like it, we are to honor them. We are to pray for them according to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to ask you right now, are you praying for our president, for our leaders. What if Joe Biden wins in November? Are you going to pray for him? Will you better? I'm still praying for the salvation of some of our last presidents. I've met every living president. And I'm going to tell you, I like some of them, and I don't like some of them. And I'm not going to get into tell you which ones. That's none of your business, unless you ask me privately, and I'll tell you. I've met every one of the living presidents of the United States of America. But we're to pray for them. And if Joe Biden wins, guess what? I'm going to be praying for him every day, just like I pray for President Miss Trump, just like I prayed for President and Miss Obama. And before that and before that. We must pray for them. We must honor them. But I could also add some other things that Paul doesn't say. We must become voters. Don't ever not vote. Even if you had to do what I've had to do in times past where you literally had to hold your nose when you voted or when you didn't like it or when you didn't agree. But you know, we vote. We must. And then defense of the country in the book of Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, You know not when the thief will come in the night. We must be ready to defend our country and to defend our homes and to defend our property and to defend our churches. Honor 
respect, and defend. Well, you know, there are three institutions that are ordained of God. Did you ever know that? Not education, not a lot of other institutions. The home, the church, and government are the three institutions ordained of God. Those are the three. And when those institutions exist in balance and in their respective places within the providence of God, things go well. But when they get out of whack, when the government tries to take over the home or vice versa or the church, then we have trouble. So let us become people who pray that those three divinely instituted institutes or those three, they become, those institutions become correctly in place. We, you know, I, I don't mind telling you, when I did meet with candidate Donald J. Trump the first time, he said to me, and I'm not going to tell you all the things he said because he's sometimes a little crass in his verbiage. But he said, Frank, he said, why don't you, why don't you Christians get your stuff together? He said, there's so many of you, you can do whatever you want. I said, well, yes, sir, I know we need to get our stuff together. He said, well, what do you want? If I'm elected president, what do you want? He said, let me just tell you. He said, I, I'm going to promote Christianity. I said, Mr. President, elect, Mr. President, possible at the time. I said, we don't want you to promote Christianity. We want to be protected. We want to be able to do home and church and school and college the way we want to do it and not let any, we don't want anybody messing with us. We've learned, Mr. President Possible, over the years that when the church and the state become too close, we lose over time. We lose our prophetic voice. So, sir, we don't want promotion. We just want to be protected to do our lives the way we feel led to do our lives. He said, I can do that. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. That's what we need. That's what we want. So let's today say, God, please, the home, the church, the government, these three institutions, may they be in respective places where you can be happy with all three. That's what God wants. We have a wonderful freedom that is before us, but we have awesome responsibilities that accompany that great freedom. Would you pray with me? Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you that we do live in this nation, in this world. And Father God, we pray that you would bless America. Lord, we live in a day where it seems that anarchy has taken place. We live in a day and time where a, a, a virus has affected thousands and thousands of people around and even people connected to us. Lord, we're in difficult days and we need you to manifest your power as never before. We do pray for our leaders. We pray for President and Ms. Trump. We pray, God, for all of the Congress, all of the Senate. We pray for local and state leaders. Lord, we need people to look to you and recognize their roles and the limits placed upon their roles. Lord, we pray right now that you would help us understand the responsibilities that we have as Christian citizens. 
And God, we pray that you would make us ever mindful of how we need to be a part of the process, not a part of the problem. So God, convict us. But Lord, just like that video said earlier, may we recognize that freedom, ultimate freedom, comes only in knowing Christ. Only knowing the Lord Jesus that taught us these principles of government and godly responsibility. So Lord Jesus, I pray that we would all submit our lives anew to you today, giving our hearts and lives to you fully without reservation. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.